0: Almost every motorcycle, if not every motorcycle, has some suspension settings that should be adjusted for you and your load. So ask yourself this. When was the last time, maybe when was the first time, you adjusted or readjusted your suspension to match your load if it changed? Or maybe you're wondering why you need to adjust a motorcycle suspension anyway when we don't ever have to adjust a suspension in our cars. Maybe you've been riding around on a bike that you've never adjusted anything on the suspension and think, well, it doesn't seem to bother me. Well, you're going to find out more about that. And what is damping? How do you set it? How do you set the rebound? Some of us have these switches on our motorcycles where you can adjust the rebound settings electronically. How do you know what it's supposed to feel like when it's right? There's so many questions about this and they're all good questions. Well, that's what we're doing today. We've got a motorcycle suspension expert that's going to answer all these questions and throw in a bunch of extra tips and things that you probably didn't know about suspensions as well. I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. We got a good one for you.
1: Sam Manica, Simon, Simon. Simon Paby, Bill Dragoo, Jocelyn Snow, Charlie Bormann, Simon Thomas, Brand Johnson, Jimmy Lewis, Elsa Fair, Quentin Smoke,
0: and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. Best Rest Product is the maker of the Cycle Pump, the best tire inflator for motorcyclists. It'll inflate your flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA, comes with a lifetime warranty. They also distribute Googletech filters, CyclePump.com. And Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made heavy-duty luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. You can turn any dry bag into luggage using their strapping system. And, of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse that adventure riding gives it. Tough, reliable gear. Greenchiliadv.com. So just to be clear about the scope of the conversation here today, we're not talking so much about changing your suspension, upgrading your suspension. We're talking about getting the most out of that stock suspension, how to set things up initially, and then how to get the most from the settings that you have.
1: Max McAllister. I'm uh, from Woodstock, Georgia in the United States, and I'm the president of Traction Dynamics Incorporated, an aftermarket uh, suspension component manufacturer and retailer.
0: Max, welcome back to Adventure Rider Radio. Thanks for having me back. So traction dynamics, I, you have two X's
1: in traction. Where does that come from? Uh, you know, I just wanted to stylize the name. And um, actually, you know, my my first just iteration, I, I did, I came up with the, you know, the my funky spelling of, of traction. Yeah. But that was all I was going to call it was the traction suspension company. And a friend of mine said, you got to add the word dynamics. And uh, as soon as he said it, I was in love with it. So that was the... <laughs> It was before I'd even actually kind of started the company or, you know, I was in the process of literally my first trip to Daytona to start the company. And, um, as soon as he said that I was sold, I was like, that's a perfect name. So.
0: Were you a rider beforehand? Like where, where, does your motorcycling come in?
1: Uh, yeah. Since I was very young, I, you know, started with a moped, uh, you know, when I was 15 years old or something, and 14 or whatever. And, uh, Probably my second actual job. I had a summer job working in a shoe store because I had a relative who was an executive at a at a shoe shoe company. Where you're so young, your parents had to sign a note for you so you could get a job. But uh, that same year, I, I took a job at a motorcycle dealership in uh, Beverly, Massachusetts, called uh, Cycles One Twenty Eight. And um, my first job was assembling new motorcycles out of a crate. And uh, you do that for a while and then you move into the service department as just a kind of a beginner tech and uh, learn, learn on the job. Uh, which sounds scary to have people that don't know what they're doing working on your motorcycle. <laughs> when yeah. I think back.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah, I hadn't thought of that. But that's the, the PDI basically is what you're doing.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You do PDIs. At, I'm sorry. Yeah. So we did assemblies and then PDIs and then you start doing actual repair work. The difference with assembly and PDI is is very structured. They put a book out in front of you, you open the book, first step, you know, you know, open the crate, second step, you know, jack the bike up, third step, put the wheel on. So there's a process you can follow. Unlike when somebody just brings their motorcycle in and says, this this doesn't run, Uh, you know, fix it. So that requires more, more skill, talent and knowledge. And then, so how do you get into suspension after that? Well, so I, I was a line mechanic for probably 15 years and, um, and then worked at a performance shop um, here in Georgia called Marietta Motorsports. And uh, I did, uh, you know, race bike prep and engine building and stuff like that at that shop. And at that time it was kind of the dawn of the Internet. And the owner there, he wanted to jump on the bandwagon. And so he set up the, kind of an online store. For racing supplies, and uh, what we did to accent that was we built a mobile store in a big like 40 foot trailer, and so we built these carts with all the merchandise on it, and we would push all the carts into the trailer and go to the racetrack and then on you know Monday, we would unload the trailer and put it all back in the showroom at the store. So I was there as he developed that, and the way I got into suspensions well, you know once I was we were at the racetrack, I was captive there. You know, four o'clock the day's over. Five o'clock the day's over. And uh, uh, being an industrious, uh, overly hardworking individual, I wanted to find a way to make some more money. And so I came up with the idea that I could work on suspension, help people with their suspension after at night once the track closed. So I went out and uh, attended a school at Race Tech, another aftermarket suspension company in California. And I uh, made a deal with the owner said, you know, hey, you, you buy parts and supplies and I'll sell them at night. You know, you can make the money off of that, but I make the money I make off of labor while I'm at the track. And that seemed agreeable to him. So we did that for a little while and uh, I don't know what happened. I, I'm not even going to speculate, but he ended up firing me a couple of months into that. And uh, the, next, the next day was the day I started uh, Traction Dynamics and we're in our 25th year actually presently. So So you're you're very pleased you got fired a couple of months into that. Oh yeah, yeah yeah. Oh yeah. So uh
0: well let me ask you this then. You know, why is it necessary to adjust motorcycle suspension? Because most of us have driven cars many, many times and probably never even considered adjusting suspension in a car, not to mention the fact that cars don't have adjustable suspension unless they're race cars or something like that. So why do we why do we have to worry about this with a motorcycle? Why is this of any concern at all?
1: Uh, so, yeah, the, the, the root of all that, if you just started with nothing else, is just the weight of the rider. If, if, if you tune for nothing else, you know, if, you know, you, you can be a 130-pound guy or you can be a 230-pound guy and both of you bought the same motorcycle. Um, <clears throat> the, uh, the, the, pro, the, the key difference between when you try and compare it to an auto or a truck or is the actual percentage difference. Um, that the rider's weight makes. So if you put a 130 pound guy in a 5,000 pound Ford F 150 and you put a 230 pound guy in there, you really haven't effectively altered the weight in that truck. But when you do that onto a 500 pound motorcycle, you've made a significant change, you know, in the 20% range to the weight that's on the motorcycle by adding 100 pounds to it. So if you tuned for nothing else, You should be, you know, setting your motorcycle up to accommodate your weight. And there is no way for the manufacturers to do that. There is no such thing as, uh, you know, a motorcycle that can suit all of those, you know, the range of people that might purchase it. And then couple that with, okay, you want to throw a passenger on back. There's just no way to accommodate. There actually is no way to do that. You have to choose what... You know, we, when we set up a bike here, we ask the customer this list of questions and we're looking for the percentage of time they might ride two up or the percentage of time they ride their bike loaded. So in the case of an adventure bike, you know, some people might commute with it and use it as daily or uh, recreationally and they might go on one or two trips a year. And so the, the bike is only heavily loaded a couple of times a year. Well, you don't want to punish a guy by, uh, over the bike, putting heavier, two heaviest springs, um, when he's only going to use that 10% of the time in that condition. So, um, if you're a guy who's going to ride heavily loaded 75% of the time, we're, we're going to set your bike up for that. And it might be a little less compliant, but 25% of the time you're just scooting around town or going out to dinner or for a day ride or something.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. So that's compromise. We can talk more about that coming up, but I'm just going to jump back to something you said there about the, the Ford F-150 or, or whatever vehicle is. So really what we're talking about here is the ratio between the, the weights you're adding, the, the rider or the driver of the vehicle. In the case of a vehicle, the weight ratio difference between the person getting in the vehicle and the vehicle itself is so large that the, the person doesn't hardly have an effect. And we know this because when you jump in a vehicle, I mean, it might get, you might get a slight bounce in, in pickup trucks. You may not get anything at all. So you're not a big influence on that massive weight. Whereas the motorcycle, with our load, I mean, we can almost get darn close
1: to equaling the weight of the bike with us and our load. It, particularly if you have thrown a passenger. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You can, uh, you, you absolutely can approach that. <laughs> There's no question about that. Uh, particularly if you load, you know, a lot of adventure riders will take a fair set of tools with them. Um, you know, you're just loading steel onto the bike. And um, but some of them have, you know, big fuel cells, big fuel tanks. And uh, so, you know, with a full fuel load, you know, you're, you're literally just stacking weight on when you fill the tank. So yes, that percentage change is significant on the motorcycle. Whereas, you know, when you, when you compare it to a motor vehicle, a four wheeled vehicle, uh, not the same.
0: So Uh, this is very interesting because it seems to me that few riders ever adjust their suspension or, or even understand why they should be doing it. And in fact, if you go to search the internet for a motorcycle, take a motorcycle, it look for the the maximum gross vehicle weight or or the, or the payload that it can take. It's really difficult to find those numbers. They don't just pop up like everything else. I mean, horsepower is there and suspension travel and all this sort of stuff. But the actual weight that the bike can take is more difficult to find. It pops up more with the, I think the BMWs, you know, the R1200s, things like that, but other bikes, not so much. You've really got to sort of dig, maybe in your manual to find that
1: information. And then the other thing I would probably tell you is you're going to be pretty disappointed as a rule when you get there, because <laughs> yeah, you'll true. find that there the bikes or the weight you want to put on it is more than the motorcycle designed to carry. Now, people just don't pay any attention to that and they do whatever they're going to do anyway. Uh, so if there was a, a grave safety concern, we'd all know about it by now. Um, uh, but it it is interesting that the motorcycles manufacturers leave you so little room, um, for, for you, your gear and, and potentially a passenger. So uh, a big portion of our business here is the Honda Goldwing and, uh, uh, you know the the actual load that you're allowed to add to a bone stock Goldwing um, is in the neighborhood of 425 pounds. You know we frequently have couples that come here that weigh more than that with just standing there. Yeah. Uh, you know that's before you add accessories and you know lights and chrome or you know who knows what uh, to the bike and then put any luggage in it or a trailer hitch and you know these kind of things. So uh, the of load carrying capacity is, is, you know, we, there's kind of an old school joke, but it really, there's really no other explanation is that, okay, if the motorcycle's built in Japan by Japanese engineers, they're building the motorcycle to carry a 130 pound rider and his 100, 100 pound wife, you know, uh, if you come to, you know, mainland USA, you know, men are 200 plus pounds and their wives are 150 plus pounds. It's, you know, literally almost double, you know.
0: Yeah, that's not I mean, including we, like you mentioned the extra fuel tank. You know, depending on what you're, what you're yeah, bolting onto your bike, all those sure, little extras. Sure, yeah, yeah, it right.
1: really can. It adds up. It really does add up mm-hmm. uh, quickly. Uh, the weight. Uh, just put twenty pounds of tools on the bike, you know, and uh, you know, think you've you've reduced, you know, you've taken away of four hundred twenty-five pounds. You've got you're down to four hundred. You know, so this mm-hmm. doesn't take long um, to 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 take it away.
0: So when it comes to setting up a suspension on a motorcycle, they're not all the same from bike to bike. Um, Some have far more options than others, but what suspension adjustments would you expect to find on just about every motorcycle out there?
1: Now that that's a really super loaded question or or, it's really spread. So, you know, what I expect to find is, you know, anywhere from nothing to everything. And, uh, and there really is that gamut. So, and and actually, sometimes even within a model line, you'll find options in, in motorcycles to where there's a base model that won't have any type of uh, adjustable suspension and then a higher line of that model and it will have uh, some external or otherwise adjustable um, uh, suspension available to it. So I, I don't think there's a good answer to that question, honestly. Um, but the typical adjustments... If you had a bike that was absolutely fully adjustable, you would be able to adjust the preload on the springs front and rear. In other words, the initial pressure that's placed on the spring. And then you would be able to adjust the compression damping, which is the the bump absorbing uh, uh, quality of the suspension. And then the rebound damping or the extension as the wheel returns to its normal state, uh, those two types of damping. Um, That would be a... uh, and then on a sport bike, there's also ride height adjustment to where you can lengthen or shorten a shock, and um, raise or lower the forks to alter the geometry of the bike for different handling characteristics. So that would be a fully adjustable motorcycle. Okay, and uh, that's
0: that's going beyond the scope of what we'll, what we'll talk about sure. today. Yeah, sure. But um, but and certainly for adventure riders, that that, that won't be something that's uh, that's going to be on an adventure motorcycle. No. Yeah, no. no so no. um. Well, so we'll talk about sag compression and rebound. Now, sag being the, the first uh, thing that we have to do, and that's going to sort of dictate, I guess, what, we're, what changes we're going to have to make to the motorcycle. Can you talk about sag, about what it is and why it matters? Yeah,
1: so this, the sag of the motorcycle is going to really tell you the, um, the, the, if the spring rates mm-hmm. on your motorcycle are, are appropriate for your body weight and intended use and the load you're going to carry. Um, now your motorcycle has springs on it. Uh, it, it's extremely rare that springs are too stiff for anyone. Almost always 90 plus percent of the time, they're going to be too soft for a given rider and his intended use. And, uh, uh, if there's ladies listening to this program, I'm I'm used to just calling motorcycles guys, so don't be offended. <laughs> I, I do realize ladies women ride motorcycles. There's definitely so, women so, listening to this. So let me sure. just give that disclaimer. I'm, I'm just bulk saying the guy around the motorcycle. So uh, uh so there's two conditions. One is how low does the bike sink or drop when you when you get on the bike? Um and so if the bike sinks too much and settles too far or uses too much of its available intended travel, uh, then you get you have less effective wheel movement to absorb bumps and undulations in the road. In other words, you're riding too close to bottom out um, and uh, which can be an unsafe condition. so uh, then adjusting the sag also there's a, a component we call free sag, which is just the motorcycle settling under its own weight, it's, it's, it's also a very important component because uh, we all picture wheels as moving up and over bumps, but wheels also have to be able to drop out from under the motorcycle and dip down into a depression, which is equally as important as moving up and over bumps. So, there's this, so the bike settling under its own weight is important so that it can do that. And uh, But finding the correct height for the bike to settle to is, wh- is what is where we're after.
0: Let me take one step back and, and ask you this. Why do we have a suspension in a motorcycle? Because I'm sure that if, if manufacturers could get away with not including it on the base model and saying it comes with no suspension, and after this, as you upgrade, you can get the front suspension, then rear suspension or something like that. I'm sure they would do
1: that, but they don't. Why do we need <laughs> suspension? Yeah, it- uh, the primary reason would be for comfort, but not far behind would be safety. Uh, and uh, you know, it's an odd question you pose there. Cause I, you know, I, I couldn't imagine a motorcycle without it. Um, you know, the closest thing in my lifetime or not even in my lifetime <laughs> that you could find was there was hardtail Harley Davidson's that had no rear suspension. A lot of times they were either custom built chassis or things like that. But I mean, for, more than my lifetime, everything in the world has had some form of way f- for the wheels to move up and down um, over, over irregularities in the road surface. So that ability for the wheel to move up and over a bump and down into a hole and back up uh, keeps the wheel in contact with the ground. And, uh, and that's where the safety factor comes in. So unlike your car or truck, which can't tip over, uh, obviously we know your motorcycle can. So if you are leaned over in a curve and you had no suspension and hit a bump, your wheel would ride up the bump and go into the air and uh, a wheel in the air while you're leaned over means your the next thing that happens is you crash. Mm-hmm. So we have got to be able to roll the wheel up over a bump and put it back down on the backside of the bump so that the wheel stays in contact with the ground and, uh, and, uh, but I think it's pretty obvious to see that if the wheel couldn't do those things, it would be a very unsettling, uncomfortable, and uh, alarming uh, device, a machine to ride. <laughs> right. <laughs> if you could see it all with your eyes rattling. So uh, being that
0: it's safety comfort, and then you said safety right right afterwards, and safety is so important. This is why we need to understand how to set up our suspension properly, because if it's not set up properly, then it's not
1: going to do its job properly. Yes, it, correct. That's that's. And optimally, right. So, what will happen is if the motorcycle isn't set up properly, it will it will scare or alarm or cause concern for the operator. And as a result, you'll slow down, ride slower, grip uh, the handlebars tighter, uh, be less relaxed. The, the whole entire experience is diminished um, on a motorcycle that is not set up properly. Um, so uh, the, 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 the other component here is called confidence, right? So we have comfort, confidence, and control. Those are our kind of our buzzwords here at traction. And, um, you know, the confidence comes when you have a comfort bike that's comfortable to ride that you feel like you're in control of, and that gives you confidence. But if you take away any one of those components, the other two are degraded as well. So,
0: Right. That makes perfect sense. Okay. So um, you we, we talked a little bit about SAG and we're understanding now that the SAG has to be set properly. And I know you already said this, but just to make this very clear, we're setting SAG, when we set up the SAG, and we're going to talk about how to do that in a minute, but when we're setting this up, we're setting it up for us as riders and our loads. It's, it's very personal. It's not for, I'm not setting up my bike for
1: everyone to ride it. That's correct. And, and, and even more importantly, there is, back to the black art. there is no, this is how you're supposed to do it, right? So what, you know, what we sell here at, at our company, Attraction Dynamics, is what we found to be the meat and potatoes of the bell curve of what we know. When a guy gets on a bike we've set up, he's going to like it. Now, there are people that are... Uh, uh, out on the other, ends of the bell curve. I, that's that's too stiff for me. I want it softer. There are people that's too soft for me. I want it stiffer. And there's no right and no wrong. Um, but the the important thing is with it, you know, if you have externally adjustable suspension is you can experiment with it. See what the different uh, uh, settings make feel like to you. Find the ones that you like. And they're just adjusters. You can move them and put them back there. You don't, know, you know, there's no law against the, uh, or no right or no wrongs, um, truly right or wrong. Um, once, once you're in the ballpark, there's no right or wrong. Let's put it that way. If you're out of the ballpark, then there's a lot to be had by getting into the ballpark. And that, that's where a lot of times some sort of a, a you know, suspension a specialty company or professional can really bring you into the ballpark. And then it's easier for you to play around in there and uh, find find what's optimal for you.
0: Right, so so basically what we're going to do is we're going to do large adjustments to begin with and then after that, those finite adjustments as you tune it to your yep. own specific likes and, and riding habits. Yep. Yep. Right, yep. okay. Okay, so l- let's talk about sag. How do we adjust sag?
1: So typically on, the, on a motorcycle fork, if you have external sag adjustment, there'll be uh, some sort of a knob at the top and and you know, screwing it in adds more pressure to the spring, backing it out removes pressure on the shock absorber, there's typically a collar um, on top of the shock spring that's visible from the side or the rear of the bike. And you'll, again, screw that down to add pressure or uh, unwind it to relieve pressure. Uh, we we find that, you know, bikes as a rule are very, very, very softly set up as a rule. So, um, uh, that's, and then again, we find that, you know, a lot, a lot of people are bigger than maybe the bike was intended for, and uh, so uh, bigger or heavier. So they're, they're setting the sag is a big deal just because the bike will drop down, and um, it'll just you'll be wasting good available suspension travel because the springs aren't holding you up at the right height.
0: Right. so when you're setting up the sag, you mentioned about the wheel needs the ability to drop down. And that makes sense going across a, a pothole, say for instance, you want that yep. wheel to be able to drop down. This is all part of, of setting up the sag. So what you're trying to do is you're trying to, I guess, have that suspension squish down a certain amount, maybe a, a roughly a third. And that's, that's where you want the
1: bike to sit. Is that, is that what it is? Yeah, it's exactly like that. Yep. Okay. And and adventure bikes, um, uh, as a rule will have more available wheel travel than a normal street going motorcycle. Mm -hmm. And so you'll actually have more, uh, and they also tend to have a greater percentage of laden sag or rider sag when the rider sits on the bike. That's because they're, the intention of the bike is to be on, you know, more adventurous road surfaces. So, you know, halfway between a street going motorcycle and a dirt bike is, is kind of the general idea. Um, You know, to where you can go down, uh, you know, rough gravel roads or um, you know uh, that kind of stuff, and and uh, and have the bike still be comfortable and compliant to ride.
0: Does that mean it's going to be a a better, like a smoother
1: ride? Uh, Yes. Now we do find a lot of people really just like the adventure bike style, but they say, "Look, I'm I'm only going to go down a gravel road, you know, once a year. It's just not my thing." So then we can we can tailor that bike to have a more street quality ride a firmer um less uh, bouncy ride than that bike was maybe intended for because the rider isn't going to use it for its fully intended use that happens a lot and uh another thing we do here a lot strangely uh, I don't know what it is. It seems like the bigger the adventure bike, the shorter the rider. So for some reason, <laughs> short short riders are attracted to tall. I can't explain it. But so we do a lot of lowering here. So mm-hmm. we lower adventure bikes frequently because the riders' the inseam is just he's just not able to ride the bike safely. So uh, we, we that's another service we do is is to bring the bike to an actual height that's safe for the rider to use. Right.
0: What are we after here? How do we how do we actually measure the sag and how do we do it? take just a minute here take a quick break I've got two things I want to tell you about but stay with us because we've got a lot more coming up and you know by the end everything becomes much clearer anyway stay with us if you want something that's really gonna change your ride I mean really make a difference dead easy to install it works like a Swiss watch you want the Atlas throttle lock The Atlas Throttle Lock was invented by two riders, Heidi and David Winters, while they were on their round-the-world trip on on a motorcycle. The Atlas Throttle Lock is a thing of beauty, in my opinion, but it works even better. It simply clamps onto the bar in a couple of minutes. It's easy to switch from one bike to another because it's easy to put on. But anytime you feel the need, you just place your thumb on the one button and press. To disengage, you press the other button. And these two buttons have a positive, solid feedback That lets you know exactly what you're doing without looking no need to look it holds the throttle position so that your fingers hand wrist arm get a break and i find myself using the atlas throttle lock far more than i've ever used any throttle lock i've tried because it works so well it's just dead simple and once you have it set it's easy to adjust so when you engage the throttle lock to hold your throttle in position to keep your bike moving along and if you come to a hill, for instance, and you needed to add a little more throttle or you wanted to speed up for whatever reason, you just twist the throttle a little bit. To let off, you just twist the throttle back a little bit and it sets, again, it just holds that position. To disengage it, you just press the disengage button and it's off just like that. It really is a thing of beauty. I absolutely love this thing. The Atlas Throttle Lock is available at atlasthrottlelock.com. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. atlasthrottlelock.com. We all know about standing up on an adventure motorcycle, how important it is for control. Well, when you're standing, what are you standing on? That's also part of your tool, an important part of your tool, because the foot peg shape, the way it is made, the size of it, all change the way you can handle the bike. It will improve your skill of handling your bike to have a peg that is designed specifically for riding an adventure bike. A wider peg gives you more leverage, A peg with better traction on it or proper traction on it will keep you connected to the peg. And a peg that is designed to shed out any mud or crap that falls into it is extremely important. All this is built in to the IMS Products foot pegs. IMS makes a full line of Adventure Motorcycle foot pegs. If you're not riding on them now, you should be. IMSProducts.com is the website. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. IMSProducts.com.
1: What are we after here? How do we, how do we actually measure the sag and how do we do it? So it's uh, best done. Uh, you have to have at least two people, realists. It's very difficult to measure by yourself. Um, uh, three is ideal. Um, two you can get away with. But say you had a couple of buddies and y'all wanted to check all, all of your bikes. You just have one person balance the bike while you sit on it um, from the opposite end to where you're going to measure. So I'm going to have somebody hold me from the back while somebody checks the front so you'll start you got to know a dimension uh um you need to know how much travel there is with the, with the bike fully unladen so two guys will grab the handlebars and lift up in the air till the front wheel is about to come off the ground and you, most people will measure the chrome slider, whatever's visible and you'll take that measurement and write that down and then you'll uh check the bike for it uh, i call free sag you know just literally no rider on it how much does it settle under its own weight and uh, we'll record that number and then we'll put the rider on the bike and we're going to check the bike again and we're going to record that number. Now, uh, the, uh, those two numbers will tell a suspension tuner whether you have the right springs or not. So in the old days, if you had just your good old Honda CV750, you know, and your bike sagged down too much, people would just take the fork cap off and jam a big spacer in there and uh, under great pressure and try and put the cap back on. And so what you're doing is taking a spring that's way too soft and putting way too much preload on it. And so what that condition does is it makes the bike very harsh in the initial portion of its travel, but the spring still isn't strong enough to support the bike when you go through a G out dip or some, some condition like that. So the, finding the correct spring is one that will ride smooth and plush in the top portion of the stroke, but be strong enough to support the rider when you go through a, a dip in the road or, or you corner with the, uh, you know, great velocity or, or, uh, with, with, uh, high centrifugal force. So the opposite would be a spring. If you had one that was too stiff, it just wouldn't absorb and you would end up with, to get your sag set, you would have way too much, um, free sag. So finding that optimal spring set is the root of, uh, uh, of all suspension systems is to find the, the right spring rates that are, are going to suit you.
0: So this would be a spot where it might tell you right away, you're going to have to look at replacing a, a spring.
1: Yes. And that's, there's going to be ground zero for any good suspension. And it's the most common upgrade sold for in the suspension world is, is a set of springs to, to make a bike um, suit the rider.
0: So what in those measurements there, because you measured the extended length, the, the free sag and the rider sag, what in those numbers are you looking for that tells you that the uh,
1: the spring is too soft or too hard? So you you can get one or the other where you want it. So, uh, but let's just say we've get the rider sag to the dimension we want. You know, uh, we want 50 millimeters of sag and, um, and I'm just using this as a generic number. But so, so say the bike sags, uh, uh, 40 millimeters by itself, that would tell me that the spring is too stiff. If it only sags 10 millimeters by itself, that means the spring is too soft. We're trying to find uh, a, a balance between the two numbers of just free sag and rider sag. Do, do you have that uh, backwards? No, I know it sounds, it sounds, it sounds right. So yeah, if you yeah. take too soft of a spring, uh, if the spring's too soft, you'll have to put a lot of pressure on it a lot of preload to get it to hold the rider at that 50 millimeter number. Mm-hmm. But when the rider gets off because the initial pressure on the spring is really high, then the bike won't settle as much. So it it does, it does sound counterintuitive to say it, but too soft of a spring will leave you with not enough rider sag. And particularly on the shocks in the rear um, where they, where the rider's bulk of his weight is at uh, the bike will top out with, with uh, too soft of a shock spring. So this is the most common thing we'll find is, you know, the guy got on his bike, they set the shock, the sag in the rear to, you know, whatever the number is for your application, sporting or sport touring or whatever you're doing. And then they get off the bike and the bike goes doink and comes up and hits the, is topped out. That actually just means the spring is too soft Mm. because you've had to put a lot of pressure on it to support the weight of the rider. Right. And and at that point, you're
0: probably right down at the bottom
1: of your adjustment, like it maxed out almost. Yeah. You've run it way down and yeah, you'll see And you've been cranking on it for a while to get there. And um, so, uh, yeah, that's, that's again, one of those indicators that you just got the wrong springs for you and your intended use.
0: So in that case, now, now you've got to be looking at at replacing your spring (coughs) with a, a different spring that has a different preload. Or different uh, spring rate. Different
1: rate. It's called different rate. Yeah, right. a higher rate. And now this is an, another important uh, thing to do. We we literally try not to use. We make it a point around here to never use the word stiffer. Um, you know, and when we avoid stiffer and softer because they're misnomers. You know, when you, as soon as you say it's going to be stiffer, the people get afraid. Well, I I don't want it to be too stiff. So we use higher rate. You know, and lower rate. You know, because uh, so if we raise the spring rate, you actually use less preload on it. And so it will be more plush and more compliant in the first, you know, 25 to 30% of the travel, but yet it will be firm enough to support the bike and keep it from bottoming, um, in heavy load situations where, you know, like a, again, a G out dip or a sharp curve or, or that kind of situation.
0: Wow. If that's not counterintuitive.
1: Yeah. So using the word stiff is taboo around here because people think we're going to spoil the the comfort of the bike. Um, so that's not true at all. So if you have too soft a springs, your bike can, you know, feel not compliant in the top part of the stroke and bottom, still bottom easily dive. When you pull the brakes, do do all kinds of bad things and yet still feel harsh because you've just, you've cranked so much preload onto it. Um, so initially it will not feel comfortable and then and the bottom of the stroke, it won't work either. So right. that's why the springs are such a critical element in any suspension system.
0: You talked about when you said about adjusting your sag, you set it to whatever your bike is supposed to be set at. Where you, where do you find those numbers
1: for setting your sag? So they're generally accepted kind of um, things you can uh, uh, you can feel around in forums. You know, So if you ride a particular model of bike, um, you know, you can throw a post up, Hey, what if what types of SAG numbers have you guys found are optimal for this bike? Or you can call a shop like ours, you know, so depending on if you're on a sport bike, there's a set of numbers. If you're on a cruiser, there's a set of numbers. If you're on an adventure bike, there's some numbers, basic numbers and, uh, you know, or percentages to look for the adventure bikes, it gets a little harder because there's bigger ranges of travel across models and lines. So whereas most sport bikes it's easier to dictate because everybody has 110 to 120 millimeters of travel on the, on the, on the bike. And, uh, you know, adventure bikes can be, you know, all over the place. Um, so it's a little more model specific. So it's kind of hard to just throw some numbers out uh, in a conversation like this,
0: but it's not in the manual. You can't open up your manual and, tell, and it'll tell you what yeah,
1: a lot of times it will be actually, you, you can start there. Um, but you know, you'll get, you can get some good information by people who are dynamically using the bike, you know, at that, okay, the manual says this, but, uh, you know, 10,000 people that have ridden the bike for a million miles agree that it's better if it's this way or that way. Right. Okay. I see. So there's some empirical feedback you can gain from, um, uh, forums or, uh uh, blogs and things like this that, uh, that, that from, you know, actual people that have used it, changed it and then said, okay, this, this works really great. And, and, uh, and many agree, right? So you're looking for, again, the bell curve. There'll always be the guy who says, no, that was way too soft or this is way too stiffer. I didn't like that. But if you're, you know, nine out of 10 people agree, that's probably a good, good, good direction to head, you know?
0: yeah we we talked about uh, how we set this up for ourselves and what we set up for our gear set it, our, our sag will change with our our weight obviously if we're you know if we were to put on a backpack for instance it was very heavy that would add more weight if we put on a panniers and load a bunch of things in here so sag is not something we set and forget unless we're always riding the same way would you recommend and when would you recommend if you do that you check your sag again so
1: that that big trip, you know, okay, I'm going on my trip this year. I'm going, to uh, and I'm putting on the panniers. I'm putting on a big dry bag on the back. I'm going to carry a, extra tools, some spares. I've got lots of clothes. You know, I'm going to be gone for a month, you know, okay. If you're loading up for a trip and you're going away for a week, it's worth the time to go ahead and, and t- uh, add preload to help, a com- help, help carry that weight. So the bike doesn't ride differently. So, you know, if you put a ton of weight on the back of a bike and, and squash it down, um, you know, that's, we would call that a chopper effect. You know, you've now got the back riding low in relation to the front. And so you'll, you'll affect the handling characteristics of the bike uh, because you've changed its attitude. And um, so it will steer more lazy and uh, be less responsive to ride. So helping that bike keep its, proper attitude as, as was in, as it was designed is also important. How
0: often do you think if you can answer this question, how often do you think that um, people would find that the stock suspension, those stock springs will work for a loaded
1: uh, adventure motorcycle? So I can classify that in two ways. People who've had their suspension upgraded a hundred percent of the (laughs) times would find that inadequate. If you don't know, and you've never ridden a bike that was has been set up and upgraded, then you you just don't know, and um, so it may seem adequate to you. And again, I'm not saying it's unsafe; people are dying. I'm nothing like that. But the, what what is available is 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 game changing, experience changing. You know, so if you're going on that once in a lifetime ride, uh, you know the quality of and comfort you experience. It, while you're riding, um, is a big deal. I mean, if you're riding on a bike, that's bouncing and wallowing and, and wiggling and your white knuckle all day, I mean, you'll be exhausted, worn out, you know, uh, you're t- fatigued and tired in your neck and arms and shoulders. And, uh, you know, whereas a bike that's stable, calm, cool, collected, you ride that bike relaxed and, um, it's, a uh, it's a totally different experience. The whole the whole experience can be different.
0: Well, yeah, you, I guess the a, a really ridiculous comparison or, or analogy would be: imagine somebody riding a Dakar bike in the Dakar, racing along. You can see what that looks like. They go over jumps and everything. And then imagine them on a Gold Wing. <laughs> you know, it's a motorcycle. It has a suspension and everything. But uh, you know, it's 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 just a completely different world. And of course, that would beat them to death if they could ride a Gold Wing. They would never attain the speeds or anything, and never probably make it. But it would beat them to death doing it.
1: That's sure and in reverse put a Dakar bike uh, you know up against the Goldwing on a twisty road and mm. it doesn't stand a chance you right. know, it's a, it's what's that motorcycle's intended application and use and and the suspension system that comes with it but so you know we you, it's easy to use that analogy where where okay we we we've got two riders that are you know heavy riders and a bunch of gear and and you know although you know nobody no Honda would never tell you to put a trailer on a Goldwing they do that you know, and so now they're towing a ton of weight. The riders are heavy. There's a ton of gear. Their bags are full. They put r- luggage racks on top of the trunk and put luggage on that. You know, these people add a thousand pounds to a bike that was intended to add, you know, 425, as far as Honda's concerned. And um, so, uh, if that's your condition, you're going to ride your bike. You've got to make some changes because they're actually not, you actually can get to where it's, it is unsafe and not, not fun and not enjoyable to ride the thing.
0: Well, where we were talking about the difference between the, you know, you're riding, you mentioned about when you when you load up, that's when you're going to notice, uh, or that's where you would benefit from the from the suspension. But when you load up, wouldn't your your sag is going to be way out as well? So that's going to give you an indication that the spring rate is not high enough if you can't set your your sag correctly when your bike is loaded up.
1: Yes, for sure. Right. That's why measuring your sag. And by the way, you might not be comfortable with de- you know determining. Hey. Uh, you know, are my springs right you can just call a shop like ours and say here i measure my sag here's my numbers and we can say okay we know by those numbers your spring is way too soft or just a little too soft or uh, uh you know you could get pie you know whichever uh somewhere and it could be anything but uh as the rule springs are soft and again i would say it's rare when we really are setting up adventure bikes for like real true adventure um uh, rider, riding, a lot of the times the guys are saying, you know, I'm 70% or 80% uh, pavement, you know, and I would prefer, I'd rather have my bike ride a little rough on a gravel road because 80% of the time I'm riding it on, you know, twisty paved roads, you know, and back roads that are still paved, you know. Um, so they want the bike to perform optimally for where they're going to use it the bulk of the time. Right. And that's the compromise that, that I'd I said earlier. There is earlier, a compromise. But- there is no way to buy springs that will suit, you know, giant swings in weight. Mm-hmm. Um, now, people are concerned, hey, I'm going on a diet. I'm going to lose 20 pounds. That's not a problem. But, you know, the, the difference is my wife's going with me. That's a big change. Mm-hmm. So you say, how often does your wife go with you? Ah, once a year. You know, just ride the bike a little soft once a year, you know, but if you're like, man, anytime I start that thing, she's standing there with her helmet. Now we want to, we want to set that bike up to people to be on it all the time.
0: Right. Makes sense. And an adventure bike is a compromise. I mean, everything in life seems to be a bit of a compromise. You know, the adventure bike is, is really set up to do a lot of things and it's a compromise. It's not a street bike. It's not an off-road bike as as we know. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So okay, so so sag is, it sounds fairly simple to set up, fairly simple to figure out with checking your manual and following what you're saying about the measurements. What's next?
1: Um, I to, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you one little extra thing in there um, that I, I to talk about because I'm sure some of your listeners are would be into this. There's one more thing that can be gleaned from checking your sag, and that's actually if you have any mechanical trouble happening in your suspension system. And what we're looking for is the, our industry slang term is called stiction. Anything causing the suspension to bind and not move freely. So uh, all suspension systems have some amount of stiction in them, but we're, we, we're, we want that to be as little as possible so that it, and where the stiction is a problem is as it goes, say the wheel moves up and turns and goes back down that, that moment where it's sticky affects how, how well it works. So, Particularly, it's a bigger problem on bikes with longer travels when this, this falls into the adventure bike category. So um, the, the way you would check that is, if, and you can even just quickly kind of do this almost with your bike on the side stand, you lift up on the handlebar and, and gently, gently let the weight down and it will stop somewhere on the fork. And you can mark that and look at that, then push down on the handlebar and let the bike rise and mark that and to see that you want to see the difference between those two places where it sticks down and where it sticks up. And we're looking typically for five millimeters or less. If we see any more than five millimeters, th- that means there's a mechanical problem in the system that needs to be addressed.
0: Mm, okay, that's a good tip.
1: Uh, and a particularly good on the front fork, it almost always comes from after you've changed your tire. When you push the axle in, you take slack out of the, the fork from the side that uh, you've pushed the axle in from and you push your forks into a V. So there's lots of information on the internet. I won't go deeply into that, but just how how to, you know, ad- how to make sure that your forks are parallel and straight so that uh, you, you minimize that sticking problem. So, so uh, I don't want to get too deep into that, but that's something that it's another bonus that you can learn from checking your sag is if you're, if your suspension's moving freely or not.
0: And I guess the other problems with that when it comes to the forks is that over time, it could end up wearing seals aside from the fact that it's not
1: performing properly. Absolutely. It dramatically accelerates wear on seals and bushings and and even the tube itself. So the hard chrome on the tube eventually.
0: Okay. Well, that's, that's, that's really good. Okay. And and one way I was going to say to, to, to understand what stiction is, what you're talking about, if you ever go to a, a dealership and go walk over to a bike that has a really nice suspension and you push down on it, you'll see there's very little stiction compared to some of the other bikes that you go over with like a less expensive bike. Uh, that's what I've noticed. And it's, and it's very obvious you sort of get
1: a feel for what stiction is, what you're talking about. Yeah. It, it's almost hand pressure, you know, hand pressure. If you lift your bike up, off the side stand, let it sit there on its own weight, hand pressure in the center of the bike, you should be able to see both ends of the bike move subtly, up and down, right? As you put press and release. So a sticky bike um will 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 be just less less enjoyable to ride. Okay. So um where do we go from here? So the next step is, you know, once you've got springs at work is is now you have to control the springs. So, and that's where uh, the damping comes in and that's where the actual shock absorber or fork cartridge, the, the guts that are inside of the fork, that's where they come in. So, you know, if we were to just have springs and no damping force, no control over the springs, the wheels would just bounce wildly as you went down the road. And uh, that would be literally almost as scary, if not scarier than riding a bike as our, our fictitious bike from earlier where we had no suspension at all. Like a pogo Um, stick. It would be absolutely alarming to to ride. You, you know, the other place you see it
0: is is sometimes in, in movies. You, you know, if somebody they're, if they're depicting someone driving a real clunker, it seems like they remove the shocks, so the car bounces up and down and just sort of continues to bounce after it
1: stops. Always, yeah, the old farm truck with the wheels dribbling up and down with the right. blown shocks, you know, yeah. for sure. <laughs> yeah.
0: So, so that's that, and that that's what you're talking about damping so um and now this this gets into a more complicated almost uh for many riders a scary thing to get into because it's tough to understand not only what this does but um when you adjust it, what you are doing, and what you're supposed to be feeling
1: um that's true and and here is one of the the important things to learn about suspension is is sometimes less is more, so uh. It's I don't know call it I, I I I have traveled a lot around the world but I can I can say as Americans we tend to think if a little is good then more must be better right so people will start turning in a knob going well that was better that was better and they'll just keep going and they'll go right past the point where it actually started to degrade the suspension um, and you know there's a psychology nobody would make a change to their motorcycle they thought would make it worse. So you have to be honest with yourself. You know, did I really think that was better? And it's also okay if you can't tell, you know, that you don't have to be so sensitive that you sense every little change. But if it is, if it isn't better, then put it back and, and try it and test again. It's, it's that simple to move adjusters, particularly if you want to go, you know, pick a same path, you know, a two or three mile loop you can ride with uh, turns and bumps and stops and, and uh, you know, and then make a change and repeat it. Uh, and And see if you've if you're able to sense it or you you know it got better or or didn't. So that's one of the things I would advise
0: so compression, the damping of compression, is controlling the rate at which the spring is allowed to compress.
1: Does that make sense? that that is, and uh, there's you know a couple of ways to look at it. so if you hit a bump and the wheel moves upward that's compressing the suspension system um, the other way it can occur is uh, you're coming to a stop sign and you pull the front brake lever and your fork the front of your bike drops down you're compressing the suspension um, both of those situations wheel moving up and away from a bump you know or you applying some force that's uh, mashing the suspension uh, when you go onto a curve, you're going to compress the whole suspension system through centrifugal force, uh, anytime that suspension system gets shorter and you move down in the travel, that's compression damping. It is is aiding the springs as a secondary control. Now, from that moment when you stop and they turn around and the suspension system retar- tries to extend back out and return to its normal attitude, that's the rebound dampening.
0: So why is it that many motorcycles or some motorcycles will come with rebound? seems that just rebound is
1: more common than compression settings. It it is. And that's because, you know, the spring in, in and of itself is there to absorb a bump. And, you know, you compress the spring and build energy. The rebound damping is there to control the release of the energy. So if you had nothing, you would want rebound control. Why? Uh, because that would be where you'd get into that bouncing basketball going down the road. If there was, so you can compress the spring and put energy into it, but if you had nothing controlling it as the energy is released from the spring, that's where you get that bouncing effect. Right. So
0: because when you when you're hitting something, it's a single impact shoving impact, so to speak, shoving the suspension, compressing that spring, whereas the release is uncontrolled and it'll, it'll release and stretch out and come back and stretch it and come back.
1: Yes. Yep. Yep.
0: Okay. It. So it's a compression. So damping compression. What are we
1: looking for with this? So let, let actually let's start with rebound. Cause uh, uh, that's, okay. that's the one you're, if you're going to have any external adjustment, it's likely you have that. So, you know, if, as you, at a stiffer spring or more preload, you're going to affect how hard the spring pushes backwards on the wheel. And so you will need more or less rebound control. So the amount of rebound you need is you you, you need as little as possible just to make sure that the wheel returns to where it needs to be normally without over bouncing. So a kind of a typical test, if you could imagine, uh, Same thing if you had a blown shock on a car, but if you go to your motorcycle, kind of grab the front brake, push on the handlebars, and you're still balancing your bike, but not holding, you know, you're just balancing it and watch how it acts. It'll bounce back up and settle again, likely. What you don't want to see is the bike go up and down a couple of times after you push the suspension. That would mean there's not enough damping, rebound damping control. Mm -hmm. So you're looking for when you compress the suspension really hard and relax and just balance your bike. Typically you want to see it come up once and settle once. That's it. You know, settle slightly. If it continues to bounce or oscillate, not enough control. So you would add more rebound control. Virtually every adjuster, you get more by screwing it in like a bolt or, you know, turning the screw in all, all adjusters as a rule are that way. So now the, the other problem would be too much is now I've turned my screw all the way in and I push down and I watch the suspension rise. You can see it rising. That's too slow, right? It should snap back to its correct position and stay there. Does that make sense?
0: Here, because if you if there were two bumps in a row and it didn't fully return, it would just keep compressing and compressing it you'd would, have no more suspension. It would float in the
1: air. It would float in the air. Right. The wheel would okay. float in the air. So we and we call that Packing. So in other words, if you've hit a bump and you drive the wheel up, you've compressed the suspension and it doesn't return quickly back to its normal state and you hit the next bump, it'll drive it even deeper. And sort of like walking downstairs, um, your, your front end of your bike can drop down. So you had, your fork was had too much rebound damping. If you went into a curve and hit bumps, it will continually sink down and never come back to its neutral uh, ride, ride height. So that's called packing. And that's, you know, again, a sign you can just check by simply pushing on your bike. Did I, did I put too much? Mm-hmm. Now, as a rule, any motorcycle you'll find, the manufacturers have them set up so that you can't make the motorcycle unsafe. Um, so they don't set them up with enough rebound damping for you to really get yourself in trouble. So a lot of times you can turn that adjuster all the way in and it will be good. You know, it might be good. It won't be too much because they, they don't give you the opportunity to create the packing situation, which is unsafe.
0: Which makes sense. Okay. So when you're setting up your rebound, you're damping on your rebound. So you're your controlled mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. Would you be just testing it static
1: where you're sitting on yeah, your bike yep, yep, or, or would you yep, ride yep. it down the road or how would you do? Yeah. Yeah. Statically just stand. That's the easiest way, place to just start is just stand next to the bike, lift it off the side stand, grab the front brake, Push down on the fork as hard as you can. Then relax your arms, still holding the brake, you know, and just watch how the bike behaves. Okay. So that gives us a starting point. Starting point. And that, that's a simple one. Watch. Does the bike bounce and oscillate? Not enough. Does it come up like molasses returning slowly? Too much. So that, that's a great r- rule of thumb if you just wanted to go, well, how does my bike act? You know, um, that's a great place to check. mm mm-hmm.
0: And for cars, I mean, this is how you check a shock on a car as well. You bounce it up and down physically, you know, either jump up and down on it and then let go of it and see if it, if it keeps bouncing up and down the same way. Absolutely. It's exactly
1: the same. No difference yet.
0: Right. And that tells you the shock is that you see it bounce up more than one and a half times, you know, it doesn't settle quickly. Then, you know, your shocks are gone or going.
1: Exactly. If it just keeps oscillating, you hop on the bumper, jump up and down once or twice and then stand back and it's just sitting there bouncing, shocks are gone. Right. Right.
0: Okay. So that gets us set up for our rebound damping. Now compression.
1: So what compression does? This is it's 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 more luxurious, let's, a greater luxury to have. Now most motorcycles have it um, in both the shock and fork nowadays. It may not be externally adjustable, but it is there and it is functioning. So by adding in some extra force to resist the wheel, you know, moving up, resist the suspension compressing, you're able to run lighter springs that are more compliant. So the two things that compression damping really achieves having added to it to to a spring the first one we refer to them as low speed compression and high speed compression and those are not referring to the speed the motorcycle is moving down the road we're referring to the speed the wheel is moving up you know up and down
0: so that's back to that example you gave about if you came up to a stoplight and, and pulled on the front brake and the forks compress that would be a slow speed yes whereas if you hit a bump
1: that's high speed that's the, that's the exact analogy, right? So, you know, a, a pothole or a two by four lane in the parking lot, you're, you're, it may be a small bump, but you're going to shock that wheel really quickly.
0: Right. So not, not so much the speed of the motorcycle, it's the speed, the suspension nope. is moving at. So the speed of the
1: compression. Right. So now low speed is where you get your, your confidence and your, your comfort sensation from. So that's, So when you pull your brake, your front brake, for instance, if you don't have without adequate compression damping, the bike will just dive down forward and uh, that that will alarm you um, if you have to stop quickly. So having compression damping gives you a smooth, controlled descent, you know, when you're braking, Uh, having low speed compression, adequate low speed compression. Same thing when you go to accelerate on the rear, instead of the bike just squatting down and dropping in, in the rear and upsetting the chassis geometry. It will help support the bike so that it keeps its attitude as you accelerate. And then bumps are pretty simple. You just feel them in your pants. If, you don't, if your bike doesn't absorb bumps, then a lot of times that's too much high-speed compression damping. And so basically that damper isn't soaking the bump. It's actually locking up hydraulically before it's able to fully absorb the bump. Um, and now the opposite of that is not enough high-speed compression damping might be a bike that... Uh, over strokes as you've hit a bump or, or a big dip, it might stroke and then start an oscillation that was unnecessary because you just don't, it's not being supported properly. We can figure, we can arrive at correct spring rates, how the bike functions from there. You might just have dampers that need to be set up specifically again for you and your intended use. Mm -hmm. That's, that's definitely more where an expert comes. you know, a professional suspension, an aftermarket company comes in um, or some people even just buy a complete replacement component. Um, if there was going to be anything on the motorcycle that would be woefully inadequate, uh, it's usually the rear shock absorber. They're usually the, the smallest, least amount of money they can put in into the motorcycle is there. Um, so if you've taken the time to select, measure, find, select, and install the correct spring rate, if you still can't get the suspension to function properly, then that's a damping-related problem that you're going to have to have what we call a revalve, we're going to change the way it functions internally, and uh, the you know the closest thing you could talk about or you know you could, the analogies would be rejetting carburetors or remapping an, an electronic fuel uh, injection system, um, you know to to work optimally. So uh, we do that same thing here. We're we're changing the the damping in the system to match the springs.
0: How often do you see a high-speed and low-speed damping adjustment on an adventure
1: bike? Uh, usually when someone's bought an upgraded shock, um, uh, you know, an aftermarket uh, upgraded shock. Now, to me, hey, I'm a, I'm a suspension guy, but that's that's like the, one of the most critical paired adjustments you can have. Now, almost kind of lower-end or entry-level uh, aftermarket shocks will have just one knob called compression, and you and what you're doing is you're moving the entire curve. You're making more or less force all the way across the board. What a shock that has separate high and low speed compression damping adjustments allows you to do. It allows you to tune for that seat of your pants feeling, and then it allows you to tune for bumps separately. So you're able to bend the curve as if you were a suspension tuner changing the guts inside of the shock um so if you could have a, any luxury item on a shock absorber it would be separate high and low speed compression damping adjustments that that would be a luxury
0: <laughs> what about if we get lost you, you 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 started to adjust your your rebound damping your compression damping and you get lost
1: so as a rule most of the components that are you know any kind of nice component will be set at a baseline and they'll have notes and a manual with it that says, here's our baseline setting. Uh, you know, here at our shop, anytime we work on your forks or shock, we actually give you a sheet that says here's your base compression. Here's your base rebound. Here's your base preload. Here's the spring rate we installed. You'll have a a bunch of information there. If you get lost, you can just go put it right back and go ride it again and say, you know, I was going in the right direction or no, I really was lost. Um, it was better the way they gave it to me. Hmm. So
0: you know, it's interesting when we talk about replacing suspension components, because you said about the, the rear shock being um, cheaply made, I guess, or, or like a low end thing. And it, and by the way, I remember someone telling me that they were into uh, manufacturing shocks for OEM and they, I think they said their budget was $45 for a rear shock for a motorcycle. So they had to build to that spec, which is crazy. It's crazy. Right? You know, it's crazy if, right? if you think about yeah. that. But the only people I ever hear brag about an aftermarket suspension are people who've Tried an aftermarket suspension.
1: It's, uh, you know, I uh, hate to quote the competition, but uh, the the guy who owns Race Tech has a saying: "The best you've ridden is the best you know," and uh, that's it's the truth. I mean, we tell people all the time, and you know, we, you know, again, a big one of our biggest our biggest market segment is Honda Goldwing riders, the, the uh, touring luxury touring rider, and you know, the to to do a whole upgrade to that bike is over three thousand dollars. And, you know, people are you know, there's a lot of crotchety old guys on Goldwings that, you know, will tell you how they drove 250 miles to save a dollar on an oil filter. <laughs> um, and those those people don't come here to to our shop. But they also will tell you why you don't need a suspension upgrade. <laughs> right. But all, you know, the thousands of raving people who have, you know, come to our shop and left over 25 years, you know, they'll tell you otherwise. It's just if, if you've not tried one, then you just don't know. And there's no way to know how significantly different the whole experience of riding your motorcycle can be if you're riding a stock bike versus one that's been upgraded. To try and help someone
0: understand what the difference may be. Can you think of any sort of analogy that would would sort of, you know,
1: pay homage to it? So um, I want to qualify this because we, we have to do this around here as well. People are like, well, I don't ride my bike fast. I'm, you know, why, why would I need suspension? Mm -hmm. So just riding your motorcycle in a straight line down the freeway. Okay. And I'm, I'm just going on a vacation ride and I got to cover a lot of miles. Okay. A bike that is too undersprung and underdamped, which mo- you know mo- would be the most common condition. You know, every time a vehicle passes you or you pass one and you go through the wind cloud of that, of that other vehicle, it's going to buffet you and blow you. So now your bike squirms and wiggles. And what do you do? You, you, wipe, you grab the handlebars tighter, You know, you're going to do this thousands of times a day. You're going to get uh, fatigue and tension in your hands, arms, neck, shoulders, maybe even your back. Uh, you're, You're not experiencing comfort and confidence while this is going on. So now you just change lanes. Now there's a pavement seam. When you go across the pavement seam, the bike squirms, right? Well, you do. You white knuckle the bars again and grip the bike unnecessarily. Because hey, it's telling you, you know, get a hold of me because I'm I'm not I'm I'm doing something you don't want. So you know, having a bike that's properly sprung, properly damped, you can literally get on a pavement seam and not not even not even know it's there. Uh, not you can't find it. You, you know you're on top of it, but the bike does makes no reaction. Same thing. An eighteen wheeler goes by you, or you go by one. Instead of getting blown around and buffeted and you, you just ride past it because the bike will perform more like a freight train if it's properly set up, you, you know, nothing will knock it off of its line or, or upset the chassis and it'll just act the way you want. So at the end of the day, when you finally are done with your ride and you get to a, your hotel, instead of, you know, crawling into the hotel room and dying, maybe you put <laughs> your gear down and, and, uh, you know, you're, you're refreshed. Hey honey, let's ride out and go get some dinner, you know, uh, and you go enjoy your dinner because you're not wiped out.
0: Right. You won't even know why, <laughs> you know, in a way. You, you won't even know why. You, really you just
1: won't know why.
0: I was speaking with Max McAllister from Traction Dynamics in Woodstock, Georgia. Their website is traction.com. And th- that traction is spelled with two X's. I don't know if you remember from the start there. Traction with two X's Anyway, we've got that link and some photos of Max and some suspensions all in the show notes for this episode at our website, adventureriderradio.com. that about wrapped up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Special thanks to our producer Elizabeth Martin and of course you. Thank you very much for being a part of this by listening to the show. I hope you got something from suspensions and I hope it sort of um, helped your understanding of how suspensions work. It's always great to, to learn this and even relearn this stuff sometimes. It gets you thinking about it and it makes you maybe realize you got to get out there and make another adjustment. Hey if you like Adventure Rider Radio you like what we do here We um, there's two things I want to tell you about. The first thing is uh, I would really like to for your support. The show is built on a model of advertising and listener support. So um, drop by the website, adventurerideradio.com. Click on support. See what we've got there. Anything $10 or more gets you a sticker for your pen or your toolbox. Anything $50 or more gets you a shout out on our raw show. And we would really, 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 really appreciate it if you would consider becoming one of our patron supporters so that we can count on you every month. Now, the other thing i want to mention is I, I just did kind of mention it the other show that we have is our raw show if you're not familiar with it it's a show that comes out once a month it's very popular as well it's different than this because it's a group that sits around and talks about motorcycle travel all things motorcycle travel so there's a lot of information there and a lot of fun i mean i, I love doing it every month so anyway you can find out all that information from our website of course adventure rider radio and adventure rider radio raw are found everywhere podcasts are found and if um if you can hey share the show let your friends know about it because it's that's how people find out about shows like this so so share it around we would really appreciate that too anyway time to get out there and ride your bike if you can my name is Jim Martin thank you very much for listening and i will talk to you next week Hi, this is Charlie Borman and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio.